And so the first part of what's going on inside our, our world is, is having that awareness of self and awareness of other people, but more importantly, self-awareness. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's also having this ability to be able to regulate our behaviors, regulate the way in which we are working with our emotions, we're regulating the way in which we behave with our environment. We are in control of both of those, this awareness and this regulation. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show, I just finished recording with Robin Hills, and we're talking about something that's foundational, fundamental, and critical to our success in life, and that's emotional intelligence. You know, the, the unfortunate situation is, is that most where many people are not emotionally intelligent. They're just, they don't know that they don't know that they don't know. And so Robin has his book, The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business, which is really around managing your emotional intelligence. Now, it's interesting that one of the key things that helps with people to be emotionally intelligent is to increase their self-awareness. Well, what has CRG been talking about for 30 years is that through taking our personality assessments, our values, self-worth, leadership skills, is that your awareness and consciousness, awakeness and benchmarking of where you're at, what's important to you, what your strengths are, is part of all of our developments. And especially if, not only if we're going to be emotionally intelligent, but what Robin talks about is to be resilient. And I was just actually in another conference where an Olympian talked about one of the key development factors to building resilience was values clarification. Well, I couldn't have been happier because it's something that we've been harping about for over 20 years. So with that, CRG has a myriad of different online courses. We'll be promoting Why Aren't You More Like Me in this one, but we have one on values, on wellness, uh, soon to have one on sales, on your life purpose, and certainly the foundational one is around your personality, and that is why the Personal Style Indicator is the number one rated personality tool in the world now, globally by participants. So thank you as always for being a listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, let other people know about uh, the podcast. And if you want to learn more about CRG, crgleader.com. So here's our show today with Robin Hills. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when we think about life, one of the areas that comes into play that's being talked about more and more all the time is this concept of mindfulness, but also emotionally or emotional intelligence. I mean, have you met those people who you say, hey, is anybody home? So today we have an expert all the way across, we say the pond, you know, between Canada and the UK and our good uh, British friends. But Robin Hills joins us from the UK today. Uh, Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Ken. A delight to be here. 
Well, it's always super to have an accent that's better than mine, for sure. So, uh, Robin, what we like to do on the show is just to get to know our guests. Before we get into you know, the content of your book, The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business, in this whole area of emotional intelligence, just uh, tell us a little bit about your story, about you know, growing up and what was kind of the heritage of your family. Well, it's an interesting question, Ken, because I have lived my life as a minister's son, a vicar's son. I was brought into the world many, 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 many years ago, and I have had to live my life with a degree of purity around the expectations of being a good religious person, which I'm... I must actually admit I wasn't and I'm not, but I think that there are some great lessons to be had from that and whilst I might not be particularly religious, some of the core values of the Christian lifestyle that I was brought up in actually form a fundamental part of being emotionally intelligent and engaging with people in the world in the most appropriate way. So I think from that heritage, I am very, very blessed. Um, now, interestingly enough, um, I, I've learned this over the years that vicar's sons either end, end up going into the ministry themselves or they completely pop out of society and they become the great anathema of religious society themselves. Uh, I was neither. I kind of sat co quite comfortably in the middle and... Uh, I feel that I've got a lot to learn and I feel that I've got a lot to share through that upbringing, mm -hmm. through that heritage. Well, I appreciate your comments there, uh, uh, Robin, with an individual who comes from um, sort of a background and that's where my uh, focus point is these days as far as a belief system goes. But that being said, uh, one of the things you were saying is around, you know, this value set and the, the lack of value set that seems to be around the world. Now, did you have siblings uh, join your family there, Robin? I did, yes. Uh, I have two sisters and a brother, and uh, we were all brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and uh, we've all gone our separate ways. And uh, we're still very much in contact, but uh, I, as far as the kind of religious element of uh, our upbringing is concerned, we've all departed from that. I, I think probably out of all of us, I'm probably, well, I wouldn't call it religious, I would call it more spiritual. And what I mean by that is having this positive engagement with the environment, with the world, and being the best version of me that I can possibly be, and helping and engaging with people at a very, very deep level to help them to get the best from our engagement. Awesome. So after, uh, you know, going, we call it um, high school here, uh, when you were going to university or college, uh, what direction did you go? I, I went into um, a university, quite a, 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 oh, I can't even think of the word. It's quite a well-established, quite well-respected university in the United Kingdom, Durham University, to study biology, because that 
really was what fascinated me. How does the world work? And I really wanted to understand it at a more kind of functional level. And so I went away and studied biology and came out with a biology degree at the end of it. And then I wanted to do something different. I wanted to get some different skills. But at the same time, I wanted to use my biology degree. So I went into medical selling. I went to work for one one, two, three, four, half a dozen of the large pharmaceutical companies selling their ethical medicines, which is a very, very interesting role because the pharmaceutical industry is not well respected within the medical profession and selling is not considered to be a very erstwhile career here in the United Kingdom. So combining the two, I had to be very emotionally intelligent and I had to actually work with people who at times were not as emotionally intelligent as they could or should be. Very, very intellectually intelligent as clinicians. Mm -hmm. Some of the leading lights in the medical and surgical world. I was working in the London teaching hospitals. So you can imagine a young man going into these environments trying to influence and persuade people to do the most appropriate thing with my medicines was actually quite an interesting challenge. But it's the making of me as the man and I uh, moved up to the northwest of the United Kingdom to take up a leadership role and after a few changes in my job role and redundancies I set up my company EI for Change to really focus on helping people to make a difference, developing people to develop themselves within their organizations, within their business. What, what, what was sort of the driver for you to step out of the corporate world and do your own thing? So share with the audience what was kind of causing you to not only make decision, but also potentially have the courage to leave, quote unquote, uh, the safety of a position. Because I, you know, I have some background in the UK and UK uh, at that time, um, being an entrepreneur was kind of looked down upon just like um, sales. <laughs> so so, so yeah. how, how did you step out of both? First of all, the courage and, and what was driving your decision to do it? Well, I, I, it's, it's an interesting question, Ken, because I'm not too sure courage came into it. My role was made redundant, not on one occasion, not on two occasions, but on three occasions. So after a while, I was thinking, well, the universe is trying to tell me something here. So I can go and make myself redundant if I want to. So I thought, look, let's try and develop a business. Let's look at what it is that I really, really enjoy doing and see if I can get a business to work around that. So I set myself up as an entrepreneur working in the field of people development. And uh, over the years, well, took two or three years for it to transform into EI for Change. And then EI for Change is coming up for its 14th birthday soon. So um, I'm not in a position to make myself redundant. In fact, we're going from strength to strength because I think the world is ready for it. And the universe is spinning in the right way to allow me to do some really good stuff in this, this arena. So you go for, and you, your university degree is in biology, 
you are a sales rep for pharmaceutical companies. Uh, how do you qualify or quantify or skill yourself up to start teaching emotional intelligence? Well, I think if we look at the sales process, I know we've talked about it and how it's perceived as being rather negative. Selling in the United Kingdom is perceived as stack it high, sell it cheap. Um, and I won't do a, a Cockney accent, but here, do you want some of this, Gov? And I'll sell it to you off the back of a lorry. And it's not seen as being an ethical process. But when you actually look at, at selling, what is selling? Selling is influencing. Selling is persuading. Selling is helping somebody to make the most appropriate decisions that they need to make. It's helping them to change their thinking. It's helping them to change their behavior. They're still in control. They can buy or not as the case may be, but what you're trying to do is to help them and encourage them to utilize your product, your service, and to use it in the most appropriate way. So in terms of ethical selling, when I was selling medicines, if, if I was going in there and persuading somebody to use my medicine inappropriately, people could die. That is not ethical selling. Mm -hmm. And often I, often I would spend half an hour, an hour talking to a clinician saying, no, it is not appropriate to use my medicine, my antibiotic in this situation. Use a competitor. It's a much better product in these circumstances. When you use my product, these are the circumstances by which you will get the best outcomes. Hmm. Well, that, not, not to interrupt your story, Robin, but my background is I got into this industry as uh, from sales as a sales trainer. So I can relate to that. You know, sales is looked down upon. The reality is, is there are a few people out there that taint the industry because they're unethical, they lack integrity, these kinds of things. However, you bring who you are to the role, whatever role that is in whatever context. So if you bring integrity, you're doing it with integrity. So I would uh, be with you that sales is actually a very um, highly esteemed profession. And if you're good at it, you will always have a job. So yeah. And, and Ken, isn't it, isn't it wonderful when you go out to buy something and you are sold to in an appropriate way? Doesn't it feel good? Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, you have the examples of the opposite, too, where you have people who, who are in sales positions and they have like almost, well, pretty well zero emotional intelligence and say, Oh, no wonder people, you know, disdain the sales process because you're not listening, you're talking about yourself, you're not investigating, you're not helping me with a solution that works for me. So I appreciate, Robin, what you're sharing with the audience is that, you know, sales isn't something you do to me, it's something you do with me. And uh, that's foundational, which leads to, you know, your whole work around emotional intelligence. So what did you start discovering, learning, noticing before you transitioned into this position about emotional intelligence out there in the marketplace? 
Well, it was when I was actually engaging with some of the clinicians in the London teaching hospitals and I would notice that somebody would be working in a particular role and they would have all the time in the world to sit down and talk to me intelligently, sensibly and have a really good conversation. And then they would move on because their um, their role would rotate into a different hospital or they would get a different job elsewhere, a different part of the country, or they got promoted into a different role into a different part of the country. And a new doctor would come in to take their place. Yet this doctor didn't have any time for me at all, hardly had any time for the patients and was continually stressed. Well, what was the difference? The role was the same. The patients were the same, the environment was the same. The only difference was the attitude, the emotional intelligence of the person engaging within that role. But I didn't know that at the time because emotional intelligence was still one of these concepts that was being debated in the academic circles. It was only a few years later when I came across the work of Daniel Goldman and the books that he published, it suddenly clicked into place and I thought, yeah, this is starting to make sense now. This is not cognitive intelligence because we've got very bright people working in medicine, but it's down to emotional intelligence, the way in which that person is choosing to engage with me and with the environment. How are they utilizing their emotions? Absolutely. And, you know, as a company, an assessment company that produces uh, self-awareness tools to help with emotional intelligence. We're all over this. So when we think about it, how is it that you think that such intelligent individuals who have doctorate degrees just miss this whole in- emotional intelligence bucket? Like, <laughs> oblivious. They don't even know that they don't know that they don't know. I, I think the, the, the problem lies in the fact that emotional intelligence is not taught within the curriculum of um, of universities or even in uh, in secondary schools here in the United Kingdom it's all very technical it's all very uh, driven by passing exams and coming to a high level of technical competency it's proving your worth in that direction and uh, emotional intelligence just doesn't get a look in mm-hmm. well that's now shift here a little bit, uh, Rob. Now, anything else that's part of your life that's interesting uh, that we can add into that before we move into the contents of your book? Well, I think the important thing here is that uh, everybody has an interesting story to tell. And you've actually highlighted this brilliantly now, Ken, by asking me my story to help me actually dig out something of interest from my (laughs) dim distant past. So I think the the key learning point here is just to ask the right questions of people and to listen and hear what it is that they've got to say and listen to their story because there's a great richness and a great reward out there Mm -hmm. if you can only pitch into it at the right level. Well, if you, uh, being, uh, um, we would say a pastor's son or a minister's son here, you said a vicar's son, uh, guess what? Uh, Jesus is always about parables and stories, right? Yes. Stories has power. And as a professional speaker, we know that those speakers who don't tell stories don't do well because we are, we're stories as a, 
as a group, as humans, is story is really a powerful uh, process for us. So uh, you you would step out of this uh, corporate role. You're redundant or fired, as we would say in North America. <laughs> so. uh, I, 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 w- I will add, I wasn't fired. The role just didn't exist anymore. No, I, 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 we'd have a different conversation if I had been fired. <laughs> okay, so we'll just say let go or it's, just, it's evaporated. And, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we go the, I get that. I get that. So I, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. So no, that, no, no, no. I'm not hearing disrespect at all. <laughs> We're just having some fun. Uh, With that, um, what were some of the things that you were just learning as you moved into doing this work as you began it? And, um, you know, what was sort of driving that and how you sort of launched that company of yours? Well, I I think the important thing here to stress, Ken, is that when I did start out being entrepreneurial, uh, people were te- going well. They were telling me and advising me that it is very very hard. It's very hard to set up a business. It's very hard to be an entrepreneur, and. To make it even worse, it happened just after the big crash that we had in 2008. So, you know, I really wasn't going into an environment where it was going to be an easy ride for me. Um, Compounded by that, most people will set themselves up in business and they'll sell their services back to the organization from whence they came. Uh, that wasn't an opportunity open to me because all the pharmaceutical companies that I worked for were down in the south of England and they'd already got their uh, preferred suppliers around trainers. So I really was looking at a blank sheet of paper and writing on that blank sheet of paper myself. Now people did say it was hard and I thought, oh well, it can't be that hard because people do it. Ken, it was very, very, very hard. And I think uh, one of the key elements that does come out in my book is developing a level of resilience. How do you keep going when things are so incredibly tough? Now, I wouldn't actually give myself the label of being resilient, although people can then look back on my past and say, well, Robin was demonstrating that. But uh, what I was doing was learning and growing and adapting to the environment as it changed around me and grabbing hold of opportunities when they when they were presented and working with them with enthusiasm and, uh, and, and with positivity and with joy and relief and gratitude and making it work and building up networks and relationships along the way. Mm-hmm. As many of us have done in our, our businesses over time. So with that, uh, let's just, just dive into, and thank you for that, by the way, uh, let's just dive into, you know, why is emotional intelligence important? Well, emotional intelligence is fundamental to who we are and what we are. We are human beings. We are emotional beings. We experience emotions whether we like it or not. Um, It is a part of who we are, what we are, and it helps us to engage with the environment in a a positive or a negative way. Um, You know, going back years and years and years and years and years, uh, 
before uh, we were the human beings that we are today, we were living very much hand to mouth and uh, we were in, in environments where emotions were a key to us surviving. And the, the basic emotions are around fight and flight. Do we stand up and fight against this um, situation? Or do we flee from it and live to uh, fight another day? And we have to make those decisions on a snap judgment basis. And sometimes the decisions are the right ones and sometimes they're the wrong ones. And uh, we're still very much doing that today. Our brains have not developed in such a way that uh, they're developed for the um, corporate environment and the capitalist environments in which we operate, they have been developed to keep us safe out on the savannas and the plains and in the forests and in the woodlands. Uh, yet our brains still respond and act in the way in which they have been designed to do so. So understanding our emotions and working with our emotions will give us this amazing ability to engage better. We're also intelligent beings. We've got great cognitive ability. So how can we apply our intelligence to our emotions in order to make the best decisions, build up authentic relationships and engage with the world better? Mm. So thank you for that. So when we think about, and the listeners are, are just pondering and, and have the play button on their po this podcast right now, what are some of the skills then that I need to think about or consider to improve my emotional intelligence? You talk about five key skills in your book, but so what are some of those that we could share today? Well, I, I think the fundamental skills are there for everybody to consider. The inner world is what's going on inside your head. It's the inner world of what's going on inside my head. It's our thoughts, it's our emotions, it's, it's our physiology. And this is known to us. And so the first part of what's going on inside our, our world is, is having that awareness of self and awareness of other people. People, but more importantly, self-awareness. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's also having this ability to be able to regulate our behaviors, regulate the way in which we are working with our emotions, we're regulating the way in which we behave with our environment. We are in control of both of those, this awareness and this regulation. So how do we get more awareness? Well, I'm going to give you a plug here, Ken. What you do is you go and take a psychometric, do a personality assessment, find out what your strengths are, find out what your weaknesses are, find out what you're good at. Think about the impact that these have on the way in which you engage with other people. What I'm interested in here is what is it that you're good at? Because what I want to do is to try and make you even better at it. Mm -hmm. But most people, when they look at their strengths, say, oh, yeah, everybody does that. No, not everybody does it. What is it that makes you special? What is it that makes you different from everybody else? Identify it, work it, live it, and breathe it. And there are, there are going to be situations where 
things are not going to go well for you. What are your hot buttons? What is it that causes you to be angry? How do you manage yourself when these things happen? Uh, if you don't know, go and ask people. What is it that uh, annoys you about me? Um, and then the other components are in the outer world. These are the outer world of people and things, the things beyond your control, the outer world of other people, the outer world of the environment that we live within. So what we need there is empathy, uh, an understanding of other people, an understanding of what people are perceiving, what they're seeing, how they're feeling, what they're thinking. You don't have to you don't have to agree with them, you just have to understand what it is that they are doing and how they're behaving. And you do that using your social skills, your abilities to be able to engage with people on a one-to-one -one basis or in small groups or large teams. Mm. But obviously none of this would work without the fifth component, which is motivation. So how do you motivate yourself and how do you work to motivate other people? And so how do I do that? How do, how do I, you know, if I'm not in this kind of space right now, um, how would you coach me to try to tap into that motivation? Well, what I would be asking you is what is it that really engages you, enthuses you, and drives you forward? What is it that really motivates you? When you ask people in the corporate world, what is it that motivates you? They, they usually knee-jerk reaction will come out with the word money. Well, money isn't going to motivate people 24 hours a day. What is it that gets you up in the morning? Why do you get up in the morning? What is it that you do that really gives you that sense of encouragement and warmth and you know that you're making a difference? Because if you can identify that and capture that and work with it, then you're going to get better levels of motivation. And you do the same with other people. What is it that motivates other people? Why should people change their behavior on the basis of what it is that you are encouraging them to do? How do you tap into that motivation? And I go back to what I said earlier, Ken. I really do believe people ought to have more self-awareness. And a lot of it is around this reflection, this ability to be able to think, ah, oh, in that circumstance I did this, it didn't work quite so well. What is it that I did? What could I have done better? Which pulls in rumination. You've already talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. It's having this ability to be mindful. It's having this awareness of everything that's going on around you being very much in the present moment and working with the situation that you find yourself in in a mindful manner well you made you used a word earlier and I always take notes as we go through it so thank you for your thoughts um, uh, Robin one of the words you used was regulate and another comment and of course by the way I'm, I'm focusing on this because I agree with this 100% you said that you're really sort of in charge of your responses what do you say to a person who said, no, 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 you made me angry, Robin. Uh, how do you respond to a person who, who isn't regulating? I did not make you... Uh, I 
it wasn't my intention to make you angry. Uh, you have chosen to feel anger because of what you've experienced is one way of doing it. Now, um, they, they might hit me because I've said it that way, but what, what I've got to do is to give them control back. What is it that caused you? What is it that I did that made you angry? It wasn't my intention to make you angry. Um, I, these are the sort of coaching questions that I would use of anybody. But um, for anybody to say you made me angry, what they're doing is they are losing control. They're lo they're taking the control away from themselves and giving it to me. No, keep your control. Keep. What is it that you need to do to maintain that level of control? I, am, I can choose anger. I can choose fear. I can choose anxiety. I can choose disappointment. I could choose happiness. What is it that I need to do? And there is a small space, a period of time between action and reaction where you've actually got that choice. And recognizing that you have that choice is part of empowerment. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with Dr. David Burns' book, Feeling Good? I have heard of it. I, I must admit I haven't read it, Ken. Okay, well, it's in four-point font, 500 pages. I mean, <laughs> was, yeah, that might be the reason. Well, you've, you've done work in biology. So, However, he has a quote that I use in one of our training programs is that uh, you are always been, every bit of irritation and loathing has been in, you've been in charge of all along. So he just, and his was around, you know, managing anger. You know, everybody saw the movie Anger Management at some time or not, uh, another with De Niro, is that uh, managing ourselves is our responsibility. Well, let's flip this. And by the way, of course, I support you on the self-awareness. And just another book for the listeners, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not. Uh, she was a previous guest on the show a couple of years ago, and that's Dr. Tasha Yurick's book, Insights. And just so that you can help with your clients, uh, Robin, when she did the research, 95% of people believe that they're self-aware. When she did the research and asked the people around them, only 10% are. So 85% are delusional in terms of what, how their consciousness and awakeness. And that's why you and I will have a job forever as far as part of it. So that being said, how do we flip this? And you had another word you were using earlier, and I think it's very, very important at this time of the world and what's going on. And all different, it doesn't matter what, what time frame, there's always stuff. And this is, you know, Angela's work around resilience. So how do I take all this emotional intelligence in this stuff that you're teaching, Robin, and help improve my resilience and my capacity? Well, I think first up, what I will say here, Ken, is that everybody seems to have a very skewed definition of resilience because when I talk to a lot of people about resilience, they assume it's bouncing back. Well, yeah, you don't bounce in terms of resilience. My definition of resilience is nothing to do with bouncing because as human beings, we grow, we learn, we adapt through situations. We are better because of adversity rather than actually not going through adversity because we get stronger both emotionally and physically through having gone through that situation. So if resilience isn't about bouncing back, what is it? Well, the definition that I use of resilience is having a, a 
good core set of values that will help you to drive forward with a degree of focus. So it's knowing what you want to do and how you want to do it. Now, the important part of resilience is the second part, which is understanding that life has some level of meaning, whatever that may be for you. But life is meaningful. How can you use your focus? How can you use your value systems to give your life meaning and give meaning to other people? And the, the third component is having the innovation and the creativity to adapt around the environment as it changes. We've all gone through the pandemic. It's a situation that none of us could predict it, could have predicted. And it's a situation that really none of us would really want but hey we've been through it uh, are we resilient well probably not but we've we've actually learned to grow and develop and adapt around it and we've survived so what is it that we can do now to take that learning and to improve our lives and improve the lives of other people Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Now, Robin, we only have like five or eight minutes left, and so we're we're not going to wrap up quite yet. But before we get into some final thoughts from you, what are uh, how can people find out about your work? Well. I'm fairly easy to find in that uh, I'm very fortunate in having a very simple name, Robin Hills. Pop that into Google and that should come up onto the first page. I do tend to compete with a, a, a tourist attraction here in the United Kingdom, Robin Hill, and I believe that there's also a school in South Africa as well. But if you want to find my company, ei4change.com, EI, Emotional Intelligence, the number for change. Dot com. Go and have a look on the website. There's a, a free book that you can download, Developing Your Emotional Intelligence, and there's a free course that you can enroll for, um, Mindfulness at Work. Go and fill your boots. There are a number of other free resources, a few free quizzes, lots of other bits and pieces. So if people want to connect with me that way, brilliant. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm happy to connect with anybody. Excellent. And then your full name of your book and where can people get it? The name of the book, I can't remember the full name of the book, Ken. Crikey, it's a bit of a mouthful. The Authority Guide. I have it in front of me here. Do you want me to read it for you? The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business, Strategies to Manage Stress and Weather Storms in the Workplace. That's that. That's it. It's the strategies to to manage storms and weather storms and I, I, that's the bit I can't remember. The authority guide to emotional resilience is very easy to remember. Hey, I'm only human, Ken. <laughs> no worries. I actually have to sometimes uh, check the subtitles of my books as well. So, uh, where can people get your book? Uh, it's available on Amazon, amazon.co.uk, which is where I am. But uh, hey, you can get it from amazon.com. Okay, excellent. Now, when you think about all the work that you've done uh, in working with clients, and I want to kind of just go on both sides of the ledger here, what are some of the things that have sort of shocked you around working with some clients uh, over the years where you just say, wow. They're not emotionally intelligent. They're not even getting it. But just sort of on the negative side of the ledger, just some insights you've discovered uh, from certain people that you've worked with over, over the years. 
I, can I can I tell you a, a story uh, that Please. a short one, short one. It's around emotional intelligence training. If I go into an organisation and I speak to some of the senior people within the organisation, they will say to me, "Yeah, we did emotional intelligence a couple of years ago." So, if they want an emotional intelligence training course, what I will do is I'll badge it as a uh, an advanced emotional intelligence training course yet it is the simplest training course that I possibly can deliver it's an introductory course because the senior people within the organization just do not get it for their junior managers the ones lower down in the hierarchy they get the advanced emotional intelligence course but it's not badged that way it has to be badged as an introductory course to emotional intelligence and the reason being is that the junior managers somehow get it and I think it's the fact that they're engaging with people at a deep emotional level on a day-to-day -day basis whereas I think the seniors lose that capacity or perhaps never even had it and are much more strategic in the way in which they think and they just consider people to be pawns moved around on a chessboard. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, what are, um, you know, you were, were thinking about sort of the last uh, bits of wisdom for the, the listeners. What would you like to leave the listeners with in terms of steps they can take to improve their emotional intelligence going forward? Well, I think the big worries and the big concerns that are out and about there, let's strip the pandemic out of our conversation. I think that's vitally important and get into a world where people are looking at how the business world is going to evolve over the next few years. And the big threat for many, many, many people is artificial intelligence. Can the job be done by a robot? Now, most jobs can be done by a robot. Even some of the jobs that we've been talking about earlier, some of the senior clinicians and surgeons, their jobs can be done by robots to an extent. Mm -hmm. The important thing is to remember that what robots cannot do and will never do because of this wonderful organ that we've got inside our heads, our brains, they cannot empathize. They will never be able to empathize in the way that you and I can, can, can. So what people need to remember in terms of keeping their job roles safe for the future is how do you help people to develop and grow through your engagement, through the services, through the products, through the ways in which your company operates, because the robots cannot do that and will never be able to do it. So what I say to the clinicians and the physicians, and they don't necessarily like it, you have to be more empathetic with people, you have to understand the development of medicine and put them onto care pathways to support them in terms of ways of managing their health in a much, much more holistic way rather than cutting a bit out, lobbing it in the bucket, here a few tablets, off you go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have some stories, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. So, everybody, and Robin, thanks for uh, hanging out with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Ken. Well, stay on the line there, Robin. So, everybody, uh, Robin's book is The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business. Go online, take a look at it. 
His site is EI and then the number four change, number four and then the word change.com. So find out more there. And, you know, we're on the same page with Robin is that uh, without self-awareness, without emotional intelligence, you really are leaving a huge gap in your life. And all of us have met those people who don't have it in the impact that it's had on our relationship. So my encouragement is, you know, take some of those things, pay attention. Uh, Robin slipped this in in the very beginning where, hey, ask the people around you. You know, as a person who has done some stakeholder feedback work with uh, Marshall Goldsmith, that's the process. How do we know what our impact is if we haven't asked anybody? A lot of times our assumptions are incorrect. So as always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, pass it on, share it, let somebody else know about it. And hey, look at our assessments to be able to improve your self-awareness. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.